Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Is it because uh, Elon said he was going to accept Dogecoin? No, I'm talking to a bunch of people about it this morning that everyone got bearish. Like no one was expecting a rally which at that point I was like, maybe the path of least resistance was up. And one of my friends was like, yeah, I'm in this like 100% crypto investing telegram group and no one's talked about crypto investing for days. Yeah, There's been like a debate about religion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the capitulation point was essentially everyone sort of universally agreed that there's no actual use case for Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these coins. And so, and on top of that, there's all these liquidations of, you know, hedge funds were liquidating and all this stuff. So everybody sold. There was no, anybody still holding is a believer now. And there's right. probably just a flight to cash in general with the global market situation, not even But crypto. I think that's been going on for, for six months now. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, the liquidations were, it's actually kind of astonishing. Like the crypto lenders, there used to be five big ones with multi-billion dollar balance sheets. And three of them got wiped out in the span of a week. And what's his name? Sam Bankman-Fried yeah. said there's there's more coming, but maybe that already happened. He said that a few weeks ago. Or it's priced in. But right. th there is this funny thing that keeps happening where it's like some crypto lender I've never heard of. It's like, oh, they're suspending withdrawals because blah, blah, blah. By the way, suspending withdrawals is not a big deal. They lent the money out. They can't just like get the money back and it's what we did. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> it's like a hedge fund yeah. can't return all the money every single day. Yeah. It's bad if your uh, depositor is expected if you know instant liquidity. It shows you fucked up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. If if that's the case, was there supposed to be instant liquidity? Yeah. Okay. Then yeah. For Celsius there was, but it, I'm not sure for like hedge, crypto hedge funds. No, not hedge. I mean, three arrows capital, that one, like multiple people will go to jail for that. Because it's like, it's one thing if you have a project like Terra, which was just an economic design that wasn't going to work, but the people behind it genuinely believed that it would. And they didn't lie about anything. It, it's also, it's another thing, even Celsius, like, yes, they, they invested too much money in too many illiquid stuff. But three hours capital was just fraudulent on like five different levels. 
Oh, I, I didn't know they were fraudulent. Like, well, oh, yeah. in what ways are they fraudulent? Uh, one, they said that they were only like a proprietary hedge fund that traded their own money. It's come out that they actually raised significant amounts of outside money. Mm. Two, they commingled funds. So they were managing money for some treasuries or something, protocol treasuries, mm. and they used those assets as collateral to take out their own loans, which is kind of like, if you remember what MF Global did when John Corzine blew it up, that they couldn't meet a margin call, so they started dipping into these supposedly segregated customer accounts. Uh, you know, by the way, which is fascinating, because John Corzine, okay, he was the CEO of Goldman Sachs. Like, you, there's, you, don't, you can't get a higher pedigree. Like, right. like, CEO of Goldman Sachs people go on to be Secretaries of Treasury, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman, Whatever. I mean, John Corzine, wasn't he uh, governor for a while also? I think he was governor and senator of New Jersey, wasn't he? Yeah, so Corzine was head of Goldman Sachs, governor of New Jersey, senator from New Jersey, had some scandal. MF Global, just a total scam like anybody else. <laughs> yeah. And it was both, I believe at the time, one of the, if not the biggest futures brokerage firm. And... I believe they had just gotten approved to become a primary dealer on treasury bonds, right? That's a privileged, difficult position to acquire. Yeah. But he had so much pedigree and so many connections. There was no yeah. way he, he would ask for anything and, and he, he was going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but this goes to the example, like we were talking about Uber earlier before the recording started, like Uber's a scam and most people don't realize it. Just to summarize what we were talking about earlier, before they went public, the venture capitalists were paying for every single ride you took. They were subsidizing all the rides. That's how Uber could grow so fast and lose like a billion a year. And then the venture capitalists were like, okay, we can't fund this now. It's worth $70 billion in the latest round. We've all made our money. Let's just sell it to the idiots. So they went public and the public money is the dumb money essentially. And now the public can't subsidize Uber. Uber either has to charge more for rides, which they can't do, or pay drivers less, which they can't do, or go out of business, which is what will happen. Uber, Lyft, and there's other business models like this. So, so what isn't a scam? And Dan, well, you and I have well, had this conversation all the time. Like, what's not a scam? That's a good question. I mean, I mean, most who, cryptos are scams. Yeah, but who's who's taking the other side of Uber though? There's clearly analysts out there, and and okay, but we know and, the analyst business, yeah. is a scam. Yeah, <laughs> so like the analysts, they make a price target of hundred dollars, and if it moves down, they change their price target to eighty, and if it goes down to sixty, they say, "Oh, look, we're a genius," and then they call all the hedge fund clients and they say, "Trade through us because we're such smart analysts." Uh, look, we said Uber was going to go below 80 when previously they said it was going to go up to 120. And it's all a scam. The, the, well, the analysts don't know anything. And really the better question, I mean, you're really saying what VC-funded companies aren't scams, right? I mean, there's a lot of traditional companies that aren't, but there's so much money that, I mean, and Omen and I have talked about this also, and, and, and we have too, James, where um, not to bring up, names, but Omid can speak to this, where he's had personal conversations with VCs that have so much money allocated to crypto investments that when you would bring up something like, hey, why don't you look at more traditional crypto investments or, or bigger names, whether it be Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, something, that's not 
why they're raising so much money. That's not why they're raising $20 billion and charging two and 20. So they're going to continue to recycle that money through every new crypto, either, you know, startup or token or whatever, because the, the money is just going to continue to flow. Or they're raising money because they say they're a crypto VC fund and a sovereign wealth nations that can't buy Bitcoin, but want exposure to crypto invest in these VC funds. So they just maybe. come up with a message that raises the money. And I'm not saying crypto is a scam. I'm saying maybe 95% of it is a scam. There's some percent that's legit. But look, hedge funds we know are a scam, not because we ran one, but because you could look right now, hedge funds charge enormous fees. Like let's say a hedge fund has a billion dollars. They could make up to 60 million a year if they return 20% and get their 2% fees. The same mutual fund with a billion dollars would probably make, instead of 60 million, would make 5 million. And, yeah. and, and what's the difference? We look up the holdings, they all own Google, Facebook, Netflix, Exxon, yeah. Microsoft. They own the same stocks. I, I would just, to add a little bit of uh, nuance to this, I think we should differentiate between scams and things that are disingenuous. So a scam to me is like an outright fraud Yeah, where someone's literally lying to you and probably doing something that is illegal. And even if not by the letter of the law, then certainly within the spirit of the law. Um, and, and there's no shortages of those out there. I think what's been interesting in recent years, even in crypto, uh, is that like you see a lot more of what I would consider disingenuous, or, or maybe that's not the right word, but the people who are backing the project or running the project or the company present a front of confidence that deep down inside they don't actually believe. So it doesn't mean they're stealing your money, but I think like I don't see how anybody could be an executive at a company like Uber 10 years after it's failed to turn a profit, burning billions and billions of dollars, and, and I don't see how, like, in their private conversations, if you were good friends with them and you were like, hey, so-and-so, like, is Uber ever really going to make money? They have to have some doubt at this point. But then that's not what they can say on the earnings call because right. the stock would just completely collapse. You are correct in making that distinction. But at the same time, I would say it's pretty gray. I mean, if they know, <laughs> if they know you know, ultimately that it's, that it's not really viable long-term. I agree. They're going to, they're going to provide a united front. They're going to, they're going to have what they deem as a, a reasonable business model, but deep down they know investing a hundred million dollars at a $10 billion valuation is something that has no viable way of ever reaching that or, or see the, and this is where it, it, it's a, it is a gray area. Is it a scam or is it disingenuous? Like the VCs who invested at a $10 billion valuation they invested not because this is a great company, but because they knew they would be able to take it public again to, to, to sell it to the stupid money yeah. at a fifty billion yeah. dollar valuation. To, to, to be fair, the VCs that business model, at least for now, and has been, is very much intact. They know what they're doing. They know they're going to be able to push these to valuation. They know there's going to be money out there, and there's there's going to going to be a way to sell this at a higher price to someone else. And even if they don't, they don't, they don't need to bat 800. They need to bat 200. You know, I mean, we know that model, right? The, a ton of these will fail, but they know the Ubers and 
and the big ones will take care of it. So that that works. But but this is you know we've talked about this a long time ago also about even the PE firms. We've always looked at those and said, wait a second, like they they have no real edge. Who was the Yale uh, endowment guy that called him out? Um, oh yeah, David Swenson. Swenson. Yeah. So the most successful college money manager out there, he wrote a book about investing. And he basically said investing in private equity was like, you know, buying the S&P 500, but with leverage, like, you know, buying three or four times the S&P 500 by borrowing money. Because and with private equity firms, you'll never know how they do because it's private. But when the market does well, they'll have enormous gains because that's when they sell all their BS companies. And when the market doesn't do well, you don't hear from them. Right. So you don't know how they're doing. You just, but, but Dan, tell your experience. You don't have to say the name of the firm, but like when you were working for a, a huge private equity firm, several hundred million yeah. dollars was huge back then in the nineties to tell your experience of like how they raise money. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? 
But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. When I left, you know, the investment bank where I was working and went to work for a uh, large private equity firm, as I was coming in, they were raising a new fund, which at the time was an enormous you know, number, late 90s. And I remember opening up the pitch book and, and seeing the, the memorandum. The number one, the top, right at the top, their best performing portfolio company. They had the IRR right next to it. It was, it was just off, off the wall, right? It was a huge IRR, huge home run, huge home run. Led the way to them raising the fund. We raised the fund. We closed the new fund. I want to say the new fund was, you know, close to a billion, maybe, maybe a couple billion. And um, within months of us closing the new fund, that, that top, the best investment we made went bankrupt. Literally went bankrupt. And I remember the partners scrambling. What are we going to do? Like we, we literally sold everyone on our ability and our, on our return. And, and the company went bankrupt. So, you know, again, was it, you know, disingenuous? I mean, was there a gray area? I mean, and, and that's, but, but soon after, no, no one cared. You know, they just started making new investments and, and wrote that one down to zero. And, and, you know, that's when I kind of looked at it. And I'm like, this, you know, it's, it's, it's the classic situation. They raise money, like you said. They exit when everyone else exits. And uh, then they just go quiet. And here's where it's also a gray area. You know, you would think like with Madoff, for instance, as an extreme example, you would think the people who invested in the Madoff fund were innocent victims. But the reality is, you ask somebody who invested in a Madoff fund, why did you invest in the Madoff fund? They all thought he was doing something illegal. Yeah. They thought, but it was different than, they didn't think he was a Ponzi scheme. They thought he was he had some uh, front running yeah. his customers from the brokerage side of his firm. And so like he knew what they were investing in and he would buy first. So they were willing to participate in a scam that they knew was illegal. So were they complicit in some way? Of course they were. And, and so I'm just curious, like what business, Forget about like finance even. Like what business just by itself is not a scam of some sort? I, I think, so the one thing with finance is there is this element of musical chairs that everybody is either implicitly or explicitly buying into, right? Like VC works. Maybe, maybe because the economy grows. Like there are inventions and innovations and, you know, every now and then there's a company that truly is great. Yeah, um, but it, it, what we've been saying about PE and VC, like it's true enough that a lot of what they do works so long as there is a uh, greater fool who's willing to pay a higher price for whatever they're investing in. And we've had 
multi-year, decade-plus cycles where that generally works. And when we all worked together, we used to talk about this, how we would make decisions sometimes where um, we felt like the long-term interest of our LPs would be represented by either doing or not doing something. However, there was an immediate short-term gain to be had, which our competitors were taking advantage of. And then they would turn around and be like, oh, you know, we've made X percent a month. And we would sit there and be like, well, that's not sustainable. That's going to end badly, et cetera, et cetera. But then when the music stopped, it ended badly for everybody. And I think... Well, we, like we couldn't, we couldn't invest in John Paulson's fund, you know, right. which is the, he was the biggest winner shorting the housing situation and the, he made a lot of money in the financial crisis. We couldn't invest with him because he was losing money every month until, uh, Lehman brothers blew up and then he made an enormous amount of money, but we couldn't afford to lose a little bit of money every month. Right. Yeah. So going back to the question of what actually creates value, I, I think like one of the interesting things about the pandemic was it focused all of our attention on the things in the economy that actually really matter that we take for granted, like restaurants and supermarkets and truck drivers uh, and laundromats and on and on. So there is this fascinating interplay between those kinds of businesses. Like restaurants obviously create value, right? Like personally, I love going to restaurants. Um, And by and large, I feel like you get what you pay for. Um, but then there's this fascinating interaction between the financial world and these quote unquote real world businesses. And I still actually do not have a good mental model of what within finance you consider honest value contributing activity. Well, let me get, take it into a different area. Sports. Let's take basketball as an example. I'm not saying a basketball team slash company is a scam, but there's so much potentially bad behavior happening, like, you know, drafting kids or paying kids in high school or, or you know, Dan, what do they do in basketball? And I'm just making, I could pick any sport. It, it's all the sports, but that's, that's another, um, you know, I question it every day. I questioned it earlier today. I saw, um, you know, this is just random, but but these teams, and you've seen that the salaries of basketball, football, baseball, never they just simply never stop. They go up every year at astronomical rates. And so you just have to ask yourself at some point, when when does that is there is that simply not a greater fool theory, but you know ESPN, ABC, you know all these networks, Amazon's now getting into it. Apple's getting into this game where, they're just overpaying for TV and broadcast rights. And so I guess the money's there, but, it, but at some point, that, that has to collapse also. And I know everyone says, you know, they said that five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, just, just franchise value, everything just continues to go up. And I just think who's, you know, but it's usually VC guys buying sports teams and paying these astronomical, you know? And so you, you wonder if that's, that's when it ends, when, when that piece collapses. But you know, you're talking not even star players, just role players are making hundreds of millions of dollars, you know? And so, and I just wonder because the, the kids don't watch it anymore. None of my kids, no, no kid, no kid has an intention span to watch a sporting event. I mean, they watch clips. You know, that, that's a good point, actually. Like when we were younger, there was basically, you had no choices for entertainment. You yeah. either watch a sports game 
or you watch Laverne and Shirley or something yeah. like that. And uh, now there are so many choices. Like I could, people spend hours on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram, on YouTube, and then there's all the streaming services. Who does watch a basketball game? Like, are there people watch? Like, is there ratings, TV ratings for these basketball games sure or baseball games or whatever? Playoffs and you know, regionally, so maybe there is there is one thing that some live sports uh, has going for it, which is that with the media market becoming increasingly fragmented between Netflix, YouTube, TikTok, etc., uh, events like say the Super Bowl or the NBA playoffs are sort of like the last place for advertisers who want to reach yes. a mass market at once. So that, I think there is value in you, that. Because you have to watch it in real time too. You, you, Which you, is you, special, right? Yes. Like I, I, there's a That's part the of me that actually likes that about sports, yes. that I'm watching it at the same exact time that all my friends and family are watching it. And it's not like, I don't know, some hot TV show where it's like, oh, I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to binge watch right. it when it's over. But the other thing about pro sports that I've always thought fascinating from an economic point of view is there are many things that pro sports gets away with that would be completely illegal in any other industry. Like what? Well, first of all, like most pro sports teams are government subsidized yes. monopolies. Yes. So not only do you have a local monopoly, right? Like the three of us couldn't just be like, we want to start our own basketball team and have it be in New York and be part of the National Basketball Association. The NBA legally can stop that in ways that no other industry could. Um, the whole labor market is completely manipulated and fixed. Right? Just think about the idea of a draft. Can yeah. you imagine if like any other industry colluded to say that, oh, there are college students graduating and we're going to take every programmer and then we're going to have a draft for software engineers and we're going to like pick them in order and they're not allowed to independently negotiate with anybody until we tell them which company they're going to work for. And a lot of their salaries are fixed because we determined that the starting salary for an engineer is X. Um, a, a lot I mean, baseball actually has a specific antitrust exemption yeah. in the US, yeah. which is also crazy. But all the other sports, like every time I go to a baseball game here in New York, and I'm like, city runs extra trains to get people there. They provide all these extra cops and stuff to provide security. Uh, a lot of times they're not paying taxes or like the government spend a billion dollars to help build their stadium. Almost no other industry enjoys those kinds of government protections. Yeah. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. All right, let's take another industry, the music industry. So do you mean to tell me that it's a coincidence that the top 50 or 100 musicians on the planet, as ranked by Billboard every week, 
happen to be also amazingly good looking. <laughs> like <laughs> it just happens to be the case that these people who are like so amazing looking spent three quarters of their lives practicing the guitar and never thinking about their looks. It just was an afterthought for them. And they all became like nobody ugly practiced guitar <laughs> their whole lives. And, and then by the way, then there's a, there's one company in, I think it's Sweden. There it, it, it was a book about it called the hit factory that produces all the top 10 songs. Like hey, they have a formula. They know exactly what gets, gets hits. Yeah. And, and then if your voice is bad, they auto tune it. So you sound <laughs> perfect. It's, Mil it's Millie Vanilli. Exactly. Except, except that guy, one half of Millie Vanilli was so ashamed. He, yeah, he killed of, himself. Uh, he killed himself. Yes. And now it's just an everyday thing. Like yes. every single band on the planet. Like for all I know, Paul McCartney lip syncs when he well, that's, performs. That's now. what's crazy about that industry is is Millie Vanilli. The the I can't remember Rob Pilatus, maybe one of one of the halves of Millie and the the other um, killed himself. And and fast forward, not a lot, you know, beyond that. And no one even cares about lip syncing. They all do it. They they. It's not even yeah, shameful. Hundred percent. It's so, yeah. But that just means that that's what the market wants, right. right? I don't have a problem with anything that you said, is because they're selling entertainment, and like there are probably a lot of unattractive, very talented musicians playing local bars and clubs, or they have a niche following of ten thousand fans or something. I agree. Like I'm, uh, it's overstating it to say they're a scam. Let's maybe another way of stating it is not everything is what they seem. Like when Billboard lists the top one hundred. Uh, musicians, these aren't necessarily the best musicians. When uh, uh, a bookstore or a New York Times bestseller list, we already know the New York Times bestseller list for books doesn't actually rank the top selling books. It's just someone's opinion about what the best books are. Like that, that was revealed in the past five or 10 years or whatever. I'm just trying to think of like what, what industry, it, we know with finance, it's all, you know, borderline illegal. What industry is actually like, <laughs> Legit. Like even, even law firms, do they, you know, I remember one time, well, well, this was pre Omid, Dan and I were starting a hedge fund and I took the old docs yeah. for our older hedge fund yeah. and just did a search and replace. It wasn't that hard to figure out. It was a 30 page document where I just switched one name to another. And my lawyer found out about it, that I had done that. He called me up and he was yelling at me. This grown man was yelling at me, another grown man. He said, I never have seen anything like this in the industry. How could you do this? And, and I said, well, I bought the original documents from you for $30,000, like a, like yeah. a 20 page document. Why can't I do what I want with it? I own it. Yeah. And he had nothing, no response to that because that was like an implicit scam that they were running. Yeah. How about uh pay to play podcasting, James, which you are not, but uh, since I, the new book came out. I, I hear from all these podcasts that are like, oh, we'd love for you to come on our show, blah, blah, blah. If you just pay us $1,000, we can book you for next week. I didn't even know that existed, but that's totally... Do they have to disclose that they that you they were paid? I don't think they do. I mean, someone actually literally, uh, some promoter sent me uh, like a menu of like, here are these podcasts and here's like how many downloads they get. And then here's what they charge to be on the show. After this episode, oh, James would like to talk to you offline about that. Yeah. <laughs> I charge I charge $75,000. Right. But only in, uh, in Monero. That's right. Not, uh, That's not, right. Not, I've, I've had people offer to pay me yeah. to be on the podcast, but I've always 
there's no need for it. Like I make money from ads and it's enough to pay for, for Jay, the audio engineer who, who gets paid in Malaysian, you know, shekels or whatever. <laughs> so it, it's a, it's a throwback what, to the DJ business, right? Payola. Isn't that what they yeah, called it? Yeah. Like that's what, which was me. illegal. Was it really? That's interesting. So I wonder. Oh, no, no, no. For DJs, it wasn't illegal. Sorry. But for radio shows, it was. For radio music shows, it was illegal. Oh. But isn't that why you've seen like a resurgence or, and we talk about this all the time when it relates to, I mean, another huge scam, obviously, James, we've, we've talked about this forever, colleges, right? And you're seeing more and more yeah. people kind of talk about that. But that's why you're seeing like a resurgence of of people saying, look, there should be trade schools or you should go into HVAC, plumbing, electrician, because it's a real skill where you're providing something real that people need and they'll pay you for it in exchange, as opposed to traditional stuff, lawyer, finance, like we're talking that that when you know, when you run into a pandemic or something and it's not real or they can't push that same product, you, you basically are out of a job. You know, when you see, whereas if there's a truly a recession, people still need, you know, if they have a plumbing issue, if their air conditioner goes out, if their roof's leaking, you know, that that's real. That's where there is value in exchange for something that, that you know, and those are traditional, but we've kind of gone away from that, right? I mean, you never encourage your kids to become a plumber or an electrician, but you're seeing more and more people just because all these other industries have popped up and they just don't seem sustainable over time well I, I i challenge anyone listening to this even to what industry is not like other than those i agree with you dan so plumber electrician are largely not a scam sometimes there's issues where they say oh there's extensive you know sure we have to redo all the pipes and and then you have to kind of like get a second opinion and hope hope for the best sure. but i sort of feel like most industries Let's take psychiatry, you know, psychology, psychologists, you know, or or psychiatry. It's all this medic, you know, everybody's got medication now, and I'm not passing judgment on that, but it's just why is it the case that kids seemed healthy a hundred years ago, and now ninety percent of kids are on medication, or you know, everybody's got some diagnosis in the, you know, diagnostic and statistical manual of disorders. Just, I can't think of any industry really. Maybe. Um, yeah, what about what about teaching? Well, no, that's all related to the education thing. What about like a piano instructor? <laughs> Is that, well, that's well, probably that's not a like skill. any that's like any skill, whether it be piano, sports, anything. And that that's a huge industry now, right? With with kids, right? Parents all want their kids to be an excellent, you know, pianist or baseball player or basketball player. And parents nowadays are willing to overpay instructors to make their kids special, right? No, our parents never did that. My parents didn't do that. You just went outside and played and found the best kid in the neighborhood and challenged yourself. Now, parents overpay and this entire industry has popped up. Youth sports, youth, you know, um, instruments, youth, you know, chess clubs, right? And if some parent whose mom or dad is a VC, James, comes to you and says, hey, I'd love, you know, little Johnny or Mary to learn chess from you. You're not going to teach Johnny or Mary how to play chess in a week. You're going to stretch that out over three, four years. And the VC mom or dad's going to pay you well for four years, right? I mean, you're, so you're not really yeah. going to be honest there. You're going to say, this takes a long time. This takes a long time. And you're going to have 20 of those kids. And th there's entire industries that have popped up over this. So 
Um, I don't know if that means it's a scam, right? Someone's just has a skill and they're, you know, I guess someone can always come in and undercut you there, but that's, you know, that, that's in anything. Well, you guys, thanks once again for coming on the podcast as always. Thank you. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.